Welcome to Grace Church's podcast. Thank you for joining us. The following episode was recorded live during our Sunday service. Sermon notes can be found online at grace417.com. So this morning, I'm going to be talking about a life of love. Uh, We've been in the book of Ephesians. Uh, We've been talking about about uh, who we are in Christ and, and all that he's done for us. And now as we're in these last three chapters, this morning, chapter five, this is the practical living out a life of love that God has called us to live. And, and in chapter five, we're told to walk in this life of love. And, you know, as I think of walking and of just being a person, you know, just simply just walking, there's a joke around our house that um, our boys have inherited my walk. And Heather will say that they walk just like I walk. And so I would say that's a strut is what, is what I would say. So my boys strut like I strut. But it's, you know, it's not like I tried to teach them how to walk, right? It's just they walked with dad enough that they walk like dad walks. And I think that's how it is with our relationship with the Lord. That is, we're with him. As we walk with him, we begin to walk and to look like him. Ten years ago uh, was a very special occasion uh, a very special moment. Uh, it really, really had huge impact on our family. as, as an incredible amount of impact. Because 10 years ago, uh, we actually became uh, reconnected with Heather's biological father's family. Um, because life happens and there's difficulty in life and there's pain and there's brokenness in life, uh, she had grown up not really being connected and not knowing well her biological father's family. And because our oldest son, when he was diagnosed with diabetes, uh, we had to do some family history for a clinical trial that he was in. And so we reached out and was just totally embraced uh, by this family, by her grandparents, by her biological father, by stepmother, by just the entire family. It was just amazing. And I'll never forget the day about 11 years ago, Thanksgiving, we were, went to her grandparents' house in, uh, in Mountain Grove. And, and didn't, I didn't really know them. I'd met them at our wedding, but just didn't really know them. And, and as we were, as we, I'll never forget this moment. We were, we were, they were in the living room and I was standing by her grandma, Dona, by the kitchen. And I looked and I saw this tear just kind of just form in her eye. And she said, Jay, I've been praying for this day for 30 years she had all of her grandkids together. The whole family was together. And I think that's such the heart of God, that he wants all of his kids reached. He wants all of his kids together. That that is his heart of what he has, and it's love that brings us and draws us together. Well, after we ate, after we had that meal, we went outside, and we played croquet. And I'll never forget, as we were out there playing croquet, Heather and her grandma began to walk across the yard and the way they walked was amazing. In fact, I have a picture of it. We have a picture of it here. Um, you'll look, you'll notice both of them, their left knee is forward just a little bit. Their, their faces are, are, are so, so similar. And this just catches a little bit of the picture. But as I watched them walk down this field, I mean, they looked identical at the way they walk. And I'm like, how could this be? They're, they're so, so similar. And in fact, here I have another picture at Maddie's wedding uh, with, with Heather and her grandma. And, and I'm telling you, that, that's Heather in 40 years. Like, I guarantee it. it. It is. I mean, they're so much alike. It's uncanny. It's unbelievable. And, and you know, as scientists, they'll talk about, you know, um, 
Are people developed? Are they the way they are? By, is it by nature or is it by nurture? And then you hear these stories of, you know, twins that are separated and they have the same mannerisms, yet they never, you know, met each other. And, and so there's always this debate, is it nature or is it nurture? In, in our physical realm and with families, and, 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 and most scientists agree it's both. It's nature and it's nurture. And I think it's the same way spiritually. I think we begin to look like Jesus. I believe we begin to imitate Jesus. We begin to walk like Jesus because of our nature and because of nurture. Ephesians 5.1 says this. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. I like the way the message puts it. Watch what God does and then you do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. See, we have a, when we come to Christ, we are brand new creatures in him. We're brand new creatures in him. We have the DNA of God put in us. We were dead in our trespasses and sin, and then we come to new life in Jesus. This is what we've been talking about the last last two weeks. And we're talking about this new man that we are in him, this this, uh, new person, this new self that we are in Jesus. We're not our old self anymore. We're not the old man. We're this new man, and we now actually have in our spirit, we have the spiritual DNA of Christ in us. We've resurrected from him. And so we look like Jesus because we're of the same family of Jesus. We look like God because we're the same family of God. It's, in our, it's our new nature. But not only is it our new nature, we're also being nurtured to be conformed to the image of Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. And in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul tells us how to, how to walk like our Father. He tells us to walk in love. Again, verse 1 and 2. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I like the way the message puts this. It says, watch what God does and then you do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents, mostly what God does is love you. Isn't that great? Mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. Imitators of God. That's who we're called to be. Look at some of these verbs. Watch, do, learn love, keep company, learn, love, observe, love, give. These are all action words. This is what it looks like to be imitators of God. See, being imitators of God implies that we give God visibility in our world, that we give him visibility, that we make him be seen. We allow him to be known through us that's what we do when we imitate someone. You see, when, we, we, when we're imitators of God, we allow the love of God, the nurture of God, who God is, the essence of who God is into our world. We, we, we impart that into the world around us so the people around us come to the conclusion that God is love. And so many of us haven't, so many people around us haven't really given thought to that God really is good. 
They've rejected a God who isn't good. They've rejected a God who actually doesn't exist. It's not the true God. It's not a God of love. But yet they've resisted something that's not true. And what we get to do is, is we're imitators of God as we walk with God. Then we get to show God as God of love to the world, the same God that Jesus came to reveal. So now we reveal through the Holy Spirit in love. And so by the way we live, people should be able to conclude that there is a God and he is a God of love and he's not mad at them and he's not the source of evil in the world and that they will want to get to know this loving God because he is a God of love. Verse 1 says, we are beloved children of God. We are dearly loved by him. Do you, I mean, down in the deep core of who you are, way, way down deep, deep inside, do you truly, are you truly convinced that you're a beloved child of God? That you are a dearly loved child? child of God. It's like what Heather was talking about earlier, that God truly wants to be, to be with us. When she shared that, I bet some of you were like, what? Like, it's hard for you to imagine how much God wants to be with you. We think it's almost heretical to think that the great God of the universe would want to be with us. But it's not. It's the truth. It's how it is. It's like that. It's like Heather's grandma who is so fulfilled and so thankful and, and, and so like resolved of just, yeah, this is how it's supposed to be when, when all of her kids and grandkids were together. That's the heart of God. This is how it's supposed to be. He loves you dearly. He loves you so much. He doesn't put up with you. He loves you. And in your mind, you might be saying, well, what about last week when I did this? He loved you then. He still loves you now. There's nothing that you could do to ever get him to stop loving you. That's his opinion of you. He loves you and he's proud of you. I know for us, for our kids, we want our kids to know that we love them, that we're proud of them. I know that our opinion of our kids and, and you when you were a child, you know, your opinion your parents had of you is so important. And we want our kids to know that no matter what they would ever do, we're always going to love them. And that's the heart of God towards us, that he loves us and he's proud of us. And this love is the basis for all authentic ministry, for all true life-giving ministry of serving one another and extending life to one another. It all comes about out of this basis of an identity of being a beloved child of God. This beloved child of God. And, and otherwise, serving others, ministry, it's motivated to get people to like you or to love you. And I'm telling you, that's a dead end. That just is trying to serve yourself. But we understand we are beloved children of God. We walk in the love of God. Because unless we are walking in the realization of the love of God, we're not able to give that to others. And so as we walk in the confidence and identity of beloved children of God, then we're able to extend that, I, that, that love to others, just as Jesus did, this extravagant love that we don't give for what we get out of it. We give because he has given to us, and we've felt his love. We know his love. We've experienced his love. And so then we share that with others around us. In chapter 4, Paul had been talking about what this looks like, and he continues this theme in chapter 5. And this isn't an exhausting, exhaustive theme at all, but what he does, he begins to describe what it looks like for the church to love each other. 
what it looks like for, the, for, for God's sons and daughters to love each other and to walk in love. And so he gives us seven things that we can look at in our life to see if we're living a life of love, if we're walking a life of love, if we're imitators of Christ. The first one here is to live purely. Live purely. Verse 3. I'm going to read verses 3 through 7. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partners with them. You see, when you and I choose to live a life of purity, we are choosing to love God. We're choosing to love others. Choosing purity, choosing sexual purity, choosing purity of our mouth, that in itself is an act of love to those around us, to our family, to our friends, to our brothers and sisters in Christ, because we're all connected. We're all united in Christ together. We are the body of Christ. As we do this, as we, as when we face temptation and we choose purity, we're choosing love. We're committing acts of love towards each other. When you keep your heart and your mind and your, your spirit clean, God's love is able to flow through you unhindered. You're not burdened by guilt, by regret, by consequences of sin. You're able to minister in that confidence of walking in purity. And the enemy knows that, so he wants to trip you up so you don't have that in your life. He says here, instead of promiscuity, we have purity. Instead of vulgarity, our speech is thanksgiving. Instead of covetousness and idolatry, there's generosity and there's trusting in God. And then he goes even further and he says, now don't let people deceive you with empty words. What, what, what does that mean? Empty words, it means there'll be people that try to tell you how you live doesn't matter. That it doesn't matter how you live. That, there's, that, that you don't have to live in line with what scripture says. That that's not relevant for today or or as long as you're not hurting anybody, or, or it's you get to define all of these things, and that's just not true. That if people try to tell you that to, you can live other than the biblical sexual ethic, which is a man and a woman committed to each other in marriage until death do us part, that's the biblical standard for sexual ethic. And anything other than that is, is, is empty words. It's not the truth of Scripture. They'll say that the words you speak don't really matter, that it doesn't matter if you curse, it doesn't matter you speak vulgarity. Those things don't matter. He's saying that's empty words. Uh, living a life of greed, living a life for what you get out of life instead of what you give in life. Those are empty words. That, that this picture of idolatry, that if, if, if you're ever encouraged or anybody ever would, would say there's anything wrong, then, then, then Jesus being the focus of the worship of your life, those are empty words. And he's saying, don't be deceived. That will lead you astray. That's not what God has for us as his children. Don't be deceived. He says, don't partner with people like that. It doesn't mean we're pharisaical and we don't interact and we don't love. It, doesn't, it means we don't partner 
We don't partner with that. Let us be known as people who live pure lives. Not only does he, do we show the love of God through living purely, but as living as light in the darkness. Number two, verse eight, for at one time you were darkness. Not just were we in darkness, we were darkness. But now we are light. Not are we just in the light of God, we are the light in the Lord. And so walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. So what does it look like when we choose to walk in light and be light to the world, to the dark world around us? It looks like goodness. It looks like righteousness. It looks like truth. And when, we're, when we walk in goodness and righteousness and truth, we are displaying, we are reflecting the glory of God, the light that he shines in us and through us in the darkness around us. And it produces fruit, unlike unfruitful works of darkness. He says, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Like if you're wanting to grow plants, do you put them in a room or do you put them in a place where there's light or in a place that's dark, right? It's light, isn't it? Because that's what, that's where the life comes from. That's what produces fruit. And so when we, uh, Paul tells us we sow in the spirit, we reap of the spirit. If we sow in the flesh, we reap of the flesh. And so it, it, it's, it's this walking in this light of who we are in him. He says, take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Now, how do we expose works of darkness? We expose works of darkness by being light. It's not like, he's not saying go around and like be pointing out other people's sin. He's saying when we live as children of the light, as we walk in the light, as we are who God has made us to be, that exposes what's not that. That lets us know what really, what really is light. Let's, let uh, let's others know that. And so here he, go, he continues, he says, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, and what he's about to give us was probably a, a part of a hymn of the early church that, or maybe of like a, a part of a, a statement of faith, like a, a liturgy that, that, w- that, that scholars believe would have been spoken before somebody was baptized. And it was based on Isaiah 61, but it was like a hymn, a portion of a hymn of the early church. And it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead. This, this picture of the resurrection, like what we celebrated last week on Easter, that we're alive under Christ, we're arisen in him, we're awake, we're active, and we're shining this light that Christ has shown on us. We're now shining that on others. And what's so interesting is, which is more dominant, light or darkness? It's light, isn't it? It's like, you don't, you, you, there's not a darkness switch, right? There's a light switch. You turn lights on and darkness is exposed. It flees. Light overcomes dark. It's, you don't walk into a room and turn a dark switch on and it turns darkness on and light leaves. No, you can, it's controlled by light. God is superior. He's in control. He is dominant. We are his children of light. And as we walk in the earth, as we go in the earth, we, we drive back these works of darkness as just by being who we are in Christ Jesus and, and as we live this life of love. Number three, 
Live wisely and alert to opportunity. Verse 15 through 17, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. All right? So we have evil days. Anybody here feel like we may be living in some evil days? Right? What does evil days mean? Evil days mean they're full of pain, they're full of brokenness, they're full of dysfunction. And we know the Bible tells us in the last days, though, are going to increase even more and even more. So how do we respond to evil days? Well, I don't believe the way we respond, because it's telling her to live a life of love. I don't believe, because he, and he says here, he says here, be wise, don't be unwise. Make the best use of time. So we have evil days, and he's saying be wise, don't be unwise. Like, recognize the opportunity. Evil days are an opportunity. We don't think of evil days as an opportunity. We see evil days. We see stuff going on around us. We want to flee. We want to get out of there. We want to, ah, this is too painful. This is crazy. Or we want to condemn, or we want to cast down, or we want to just yell and scream about the evilness that's around us. That's not wise. What's wise is living a life of love. What's wise is using this evil as opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to be extended, to love, to serve, to say, oh man, what an opportunity. So you and I aren't here just to suck air. We're not here just to take up space until Jesus comes back. We are here because there's evil days. Because the Bible says that when when sin abounds, grace therefore so much more abounds. And it abounds through us and in us as we see these great opportunities to serve others in the name of Jesus. Our greatest, the difference we'll make in life, the greatest opportunities, the greatest impact we can have is not political, it's not financial, it's not by social power. You can use all of those things, but ultimately it is Christ in us, the hope of glory that changes the world around us, that overcomes evil with good. That's the secret of the kingdom of God. And so that's what he's, he's teaching here, to live wisely, alert to opportunities. And we think of opportunity, we're thinking of what, uh, so often you hear the word opportunity, people think of it as a way to get something for themselves. But here, we see an opportunity is living in such a way that we can serve others. We can make a difference in other people's lives. And he tells us to live spiritually. Number four, verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Every time you give place to the indwelling and the infilling of the Holy Spirit, you're committing an act of love. You're committing an act of love. The Holy Spirit is the right influence. He's the right source for joy and for peace in our life. May may we be accused of living under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Maybe people see that about us, that that, that we would be walking in the fruit of the Spirit, that we would be displaying the gifts of the Spirit around us as they manifest in our lives. Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the disciples, folks thought they were drunk. And like, it's 9 o'clock in the morning, they're not drunk, but they thought they were drunk because of the influence of the Holy Spirit. Like, why would they be acting drunk? The thing is, 
they were not acting normal. Okay? Now, I'm, I'm not saying that be, to be a Christian means you're weird. Well, I believe we are, we are um, naturally supernatural. But the way they were speaking, the way they were living, the joy that they had, what they were displaying, the noise they were making, got everybody's attention. And they're like, this isn't normal. It's nine o'clock on a Monday morning. Who's happy at nine o'clock? What are these people happy about? Why are they excited? What's going on here? It's the Holy Spirit empowering them. Then we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. We live different than the world around us. And it may look abnormal because it's not the normal that our world has. I mean, that's like a good thing, right? That's a good thing that we live spiritually. Unlike other intoxicants, the Holy Spirit will make you sharp and alert, not dull and confused. And, and he can bring healing. He can bring wholeness. He is our escape. Number five, live in fellowship. Verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. That's what we're doing this morning. This morning, we're living in fellowship. When you gather together with other believers in fellowship, this is what you're doing. He's saying, address one another in psalms. The early church would have used the book of psalms as a singing book, like and he says, and then hymns, which were songs that, that, that people would have written that aren't inspired scripture, like the Psalms, like, um, like that, what I just read a few minutes ago, Awake, O Sleeper, that would have been like a hymn for them. Uh, for us, the hymns that are the song, they're not just out of a, a, you know, a hymn book, they're the songs that we sing, that, that we've written, that we'd sing in spiritual songs. You know, when Rachel this morning said, let's take two minutes and let's just sing to the Lord. What she was doing here was modeling this, encouraging us to do this very thing right here. Sing a spiritual song. Some places in scripture, it's called singing a new song to the Lord. That there's a song that the Lord is putting in your heart that nobody else can sing that song but you because they are the words that God is putting in your heart. They're the the way he's expressing himself through you. He is the I mean, it, nobody else can sing that song but you because the Holy Spirit is inspiring it in your heart. And it may simply be, Jesus, I love you. But nobody else can sing that for you. You're the only one. And so the thing about this is, of it, this being in fellowship, of living in this fellowship, is it doesn't happen by observation. You don't live in fellowship by observation. You live in fellowship with one another by participation. That when we all sing together, when we all worship together, that is an act of love towards the body of Christ, towards each other. And so it's not that we come in as participants, I'm sorry, as observers. We come in as participants. We're not here to watch a concert, right? Because I promise you, they're not up here to give one. We're one choir together, brothers and sisters in Jesus Worshiping the Lord, de- declaring his goodness, that, that just, and then in, in, in our days, there would be a humming that we would do. There would be songs that we would sing, and your family looks at you like, what are you doing? I don't know. I'm just singing to Jesus, you know? And I mean, it's not saying that our life is like a musical, you're dressing one another in psalms and hymns and spirits. It's not saying it's like a musical. It's just saying we're so full of Jesus and so thankful. It just pours out of our mouth. Because music, song is a, 
I mean, that is emotion. That, that conveys something that simple words never can. And for us to fully describe our appreciation, our love for the word, the Lord, we need something more than, than, than just words. And, and the songs that we sing, what comes out of our mouth is, is important. I like the message translation in this. It says, it says uh, sing hymns and sing songs to the Lord instead of drinking songs. So instead of drinking songs, sing songs to the Lord. And I remember a few weeks ago, uh, I was listening to the radio and Chris Stapleton come on singing about Tennessee whiskey. And, and I thought of this, I thought of this verse. Oh, drinking song. I better change the radio, right? Let's hear something about Jesus. And so it's a, just this overflow of just this overflow of, of, of just worshiping him and walking in him. This, this living in fellowship with him. Number six, live gratefully. Live gratefully, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, when you live a life of thankfulness and gratitude, you're loving others. Isn't it? I mean, if you're, if you're going around belly aching and complaining about life, that's not an act of love. But when you choose to be thankful, when you choose to be grateful, you are loving those around you. Gratefulness is a sign that you know God and he is the source of every good thing in your life. Because when you're ungrateful, when you complain, it repels people. But when you're grateful, when you're thankful, when you're positive, you become like a magnet and people are drawn to you and then you can minister to them. That we speak a language of thanksgiving. And finally, live submissively. Verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The the word submit has been so misunderstood and abused. The focus here is not on hierarchy. Okay, if it were, how could we all be, how how could everybody have authority over everybody, right? Like, that doesn't even make sense. Well, the focus here, a better understanding of this would be to be soft, uh, to to, to give in, to to, to be able to yield. It's like the... uh, um, you know, the Pillsbury Doughboy, right? Where it, you know, the, I'm dating myself here, aren't I? Oh man, I just realized I'm dating myself. Well, that stomach is submissive, isn't it? It's, it's easy. I'd rather use him as an example than me. <laughs> but it's submissive. It's, it's soft. It's pliable. It, it, give, it gives in. It's like merging on a freeway. You're yielding. You're preferring others. He's saying, be people, be submitted people. Submitted people are not rigid. They're not abrasive. They're not brittle. They're not hard. They're open. They can be influenced. An attitude of submission is saying, I receive you as a person. I value you. I listen to you. I'm open to you. And this is how we live a life of love. Spiritually, in fellowship, in purity, in and living as children of light. Walking in holiness, being wise and looking and recognizing opportunity of being thankful, full of gratitude, full of worship, submitting ourselves one to another. That's how we love each other. And Paul's trying to lay this out for the church, that this is what it means, this is what it looks like to be brothers and sisters in Christ. Because Jesus said that the world will know us by the love we have for each other. 
that we should be known by the love we have, by the way we treat each other, that the love that we have should be so overwhelming, the way we interact with each other, the way we treat each other, that, that people should be flocking, flocking to churches because of the way believers act. That doesn't happen, does it? It's, sometimes it's so the total opposite of that. And it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be that the world will know us by our love, that the greatest thing you and I can ever do is love each other. That being people of love is the most powerful, the most important, where the rubber hits the road, where the gospel meets the road, where it gets feet and it lives. Oh, Lord, help us to be people of love and to live lives of love. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? I wonder if there's an area that I mentioned this morning that you'd say, wow, I'm, yeah, I need to grow in that area of love. I need to, and it's, it's, it's not like it's a, you like a, I'm not trying to say it's like you have to, I'm not trying to say it's a, it's a, I'm not trying to beat it over your head over with it this morning. What I'm saying is that is who you are in Jesus and that as his character, as his DNA flows through you, as you imitate him, you will live a life like that. But it's good to come to Scripture. James says that Scripture is like a, a mirror, and we look at it, and we see our reflection, and we see what needs to change, and we don't want to just be hearers of the Word. We want to be doers of the Word. We want to live this life. We don't want a life of love to be a mental ascent. We want it to be the way we live. And so if you're here this morning and and there's an area of your life that you'd say, yeah, Lord, I need this. Would you just offer that to the Lord right now? Will you invite his grace and his mercy, his encouragement, his, his empowerment, that you would pray a prayer like this and just begin to talk to the Lord right now, but you begin to pray a prayer like this. Jesus, I can't do this on my own. I need the power of your spirit to work in my life so the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, all of these would be manifested. They would be produced in my life. Oh, Lord, we pray you would do it. We submit ourselves to you this morning, Lord. We yield to you this morning. We thank you for that, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if, if you're here today and, and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, I'd invite you to say yes to him today. I would invite you to say yes to Jesus, to yield your complete life to him, to give yourself to him, that you'd pray a prayer like this, and you can even whisper it right now where you are. You'd say, Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to, to receive me as your child. I want to be born again. I confess my sin and my need to you. I ask you to save me right now. I'd be a brand new person in you, Jesus. Just pray and say, I receive this gift of salvation. I receive eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope that this episode made a difference in your life. 
If you would like more information on giving your life to Jesus, visit us on the web at grace417.com.